Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to get going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. It's Radiothon time again at 3CR and in 2017, 3CR is Radio for Change. We're asking you to keep us on air for another year by donating to the station. 3CR Radio for Change, June the 5th to the 18th. Call us on 039419 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Enjoy your podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and, of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. Uh, first up in the studio, we have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Good morning, Penny. morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. It's lovely to be here again, even if it was dark the whole way up this morning. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> but I... I was fortunate I didn't have fog to drive through this morning. Yeah, I did last week. It makes a big difference. <laughs> I had at least visibility. Yeah, we had really dense fog yesterday. So being near the water, it was... And my husband and I go for a bike ride on the mornings that we can, and it's quite weird riding along the bike paths in, in thick fog. Yes, because you're never quite sure, you know, what's coming around the corner next. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was good. It's, um, but it is really dangerous driving, so you do need to be careful. So, yes, it was lovely to have clear skies. In fact, the stars this morning were just fabulous. Getting mm. up, you get to see things. Getting up early, you get to see things that you might not otherwise see. Absolutely, yeah, yes. Yeah. I must say, I really do enjoy, uh, you know, I might complain in the middle of winter, but once you're up, it's it's just a magical time. It is fabulous, and yeah. and we're we're really I mean not probably not gardening wise, but we're really blessed with the weather at the moment. I mean this is just stunning Melbourne autumn weather that we're getting into winter. I mean we didn't summer stretched into autumn, and now autumn's going into winter, and um, we're going to need some rain. Or I am. I don't know about other no, areas in Victoria, but we're going to need dry, some rain yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, this is very strange. Yeah. Again, for this time of year. So. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah, it's getting a bit dry. So my main advice to people at the moment is keep an eye on your plants because particularly the non-established ones or the recently planted ones could be really dry. Yes, yeah. exactly. Good advice. We've also got to say a very good morning to Chloe Foster. Morning, Chloe. Good morning, Pam and everyone. It's good to be here. I was up. I was talking, talking about the stars just before. I was up at a friend's place in Yarra Junction last night, and I came out to come home. And you know, it's out in the sticks, kind of. Yes. <laughs> and I got out in the car to come home, and the stars. There were so yeah. many, just getting out of the city lights and mm. and mm. being being out in the sort of semi-rural area was absolutely beautiful. Yes. So I'll say. Yeah, see the Milky Way and the Southern Cross. and yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, on non, non-moonlit nights and non-cloudy nights, we get to see that every night. Yeah. Oh, Which you're is, lucky, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> and I, do, I actually do make a point of going outside and having a look at them before Absolutely. I go to bed yep. at night. So, and checking out the moon it's and where it treat. is and what it's doing. And yeah. yeah it's, um, we forget sometimes. We do, yeah. And about those other things. We forget how many stars there are when, mm. you, when you're used to the mm. suburbs and the city. and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see the big ones, but there's lots. Oh, yes. And I loved it last night. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, you two have both been to um, a big event down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens yesterday. Uh, we had a fun yeah. day yesterday. Yeah, we it did. It was good. It we was did. good. We, we went down um, and spent the whole day, well, not the whole day, but we had two talks from Attila Capitani about succulents. 
So succulents is something that I've known a bit about for quite a while and I have the odd one in the garden. Um, but this was all about Australian succulents. And, and as Attila pointed out, for a long time people have assumed that Australia has fewer succulents than anywhere else in the world. Um, and in fact, you know, they were talking about 20 or 30 years ago of half a dozen maybe known Australian succulents. And, um, but Attila is changing that view by travelling around outback Australia and discovering mm. all these amazing tiny little succulents that exist in the outback. And yeah. he but was showing us fabulous photographs yeah. of them. His photographs are amazing. But even he sort of has broadened the definition of an Australian succulent too. I, was, I couldn't get to the morning session, but the afternoon session with the bottle trees and the boabs, he considers succulents because they've got a swollen trunk. Yes. swollen stem and are quite fleshy. Yes. Um, and will, you know, ca- contract and expand. Yeah. Is that the right word? Yeah. yeah. You know, it, depending on the, the water that they've got access to. So so his definition of a succulent, it can have it's quite swollen roots, swollen stems or swollen leaves. So any of, any, all or any of those three. So some of the little ones that he was discovering in the outback may look not like succulents on the surface, but when you dig them up, they have these huge bulbous um, roots that the Aboriginal Mm -hmm. people actually use as a water source. Right. Um, But you don't know that they're there unless you dig them up. But as a means of survival in the outback, and again, um, this was in the morning talk, he was saying that the thing that was most important to the the Aboriginal people is the... um, is the water sources rather than the food sources? The water sources come first in mm-hmm. desert areas, mm-hmm. and how essential these these succulents, whether they're the boabab, boabs or the bottle trees or the or the plants that grow under the ground, these succulents are essential um, not just to the Aboriginal people but to the native wildlife as well. Mm. But I couldn't believe the breadth and um, difference in some of these succulents that he was showing us. So it was just amazing. Yeah, and he's got a lot of them in his garden too. Yeah. They've, they've cultivated And the huge variety of, of mm. little plants. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he started off with um, mainly doing uh, imported succulents. Yes. And now he's changing over. Yeah, he and the is. last 10 or 15 <laughs> years have been totally devoted to Australian okay. succulents. Yeah. And he's actually starting to grow a lot of them in the garden. And a lot of the succulents he's discovering have never been described before. So they're new plants to science. Gosh. So uh, it was just fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And he's it, such a passionate person. He is. He just gets so excited about talking about his passions and his, yeah. you know, the topics that, you know, it's perfect for him. Um yeah, we need more people that just get super excited like he does. Yes, it was, yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He, look, he's a great speaker. I, uh, for me, he there was a bit too much stuff that wasn't specifically on the plants. Yeah. But I know a lot of people just enjoyed the banter and the patter and stuff. And yeah. uh, and I wanted to know more about these plants that he was showing <laughs> yeah, me for the first time. But I also found out a huge amount. And the whole thing about um. Bottle trees was mm. really interesting too. You might want to explain what he was saying about bottle trees as landscape plants. Yeah, that's right. So every photo that he showed of bottle trees in, uh, as says, that have been planted as street trees or just anywhere, the grass was still green right up to the trunk underneath them. The path hadn't been lifted up by any roots. The um, the the road that was planted next to hadn't been lifted up by any roots and there was no branch drop. They, you know, they're green all the time. 
and terrific shade. Terrific shade, and he, all these things like, what? This is a really good street tree. This is a and really they're, good they're tree. Self, they're self-limiting height-wise too, so yeah. they're not like eucalypts that just keep on growing. They stop growing at a certain height, which okay. is often under the the height of the wires. True, and so they, you're not having to prune them all the time. And they right. they you really don't have to prune them because they grow evenly and the um. They just see, you know, like a the fit, you know, the fancy trunk, the the enlarged yeah. trunk, and a really nice rounded um, habit to it. Yeah, and because the trunk absorbs the water, it doesn't need the excessive root growth that mm. that is seeking course, for water because it it's stored in the trunk. Yeah. So, and he also one of my favourite photos of them. Um, I can't remember. I think it was actually a boab, but uh, it was a a tree where he photographed what it looked like before water and then he took a photograph of there was a photograph of another one that was actually in the middle of a flooded area mm. and it was this huge it was massive. Massive. <laughs> and it wasn't just the trunk it was all the branches were yeah. like these great they were so swollen. fat yes because <laughs> they just filled up to capacity yeah. with right. water right. and they'll hold on to that you know in, yeah. the, in that situation throughout the dry season but in you know in melbourne or something throughout a drought or yeah you know a exactly. couple of dry summers or something like that and yeah, I'm and and technically they're not even trees apparently because they're not woody, because oh. wood can't expand. Of course, the way that boabs yeah. do, yeah, um, and and the way that bottle trees do, so they're technically they're um, herbaceous plants is the way he describes them. They're okay. not, not actually trees. <laughs> so, <laughs> it changes your th- it really yeah. changes your thinking yeah. about you know yeah. how you look at a tree or how interesting yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was interesting and, and I. I bought a couple of things, one of them, these things that he puts out. So one of them's on the bottle trees and the boabs. Right. And the other one's on the pig faces and pig legs. Oh, yes. And he was talking about how unfortunate that particular name is because they're really interesting plants and edible, you know, edible fruits and yes. um, you know, a whole range of different things that you can do with them. And I was also fortunate enough a few years ago to buy his Australian succulent plants. Um, which has got some of these succulents that he was showing in the photographs. <coughs> but um, apparently this, this book's out of print and you can, uh, you can get second-hand copies on the internet, but they, they can be up to $500. So oh, gosh. I was quite chuffed that you I are had very a copy. <laughs> I know in this morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't you borrow it. You better hold on to it, Penny. <laughs> Oh well, that's wonderful. So it was a good day, and it was it was Roger and Gwen were just fantastic. They, you know, yeah. and the and the other, all the other friends, they do such a good job. They're so well organised. There were they cups are. of tea and coffee whenever you wanted them, and you know it was just lovely. And the gardens were superb. Went in between the first two talks, I went out and wandered around the gardens, and I've been you know going down there intermittently since. Well, since before the garden, the first garden, the Australian garden was put in, and watching it develop, and the first part of the Australian garden, garden must have been in now about 15 oh, years, maybe yes. a bit longer. Just over, turned, officially turned 10 last year. Oh, okay, okay. so 10 years. Well, I thought it was, must be a bit longer, but they're starting to reach sort of adult size. Yeah. You know, they've become young adults yeah. instead of teenagers. <laughs> It's it's just lovely to see the vision that the designers must have had yep. actually coming to fruition mm. because the other newer bits are still a bit open, although you can see what's going to happen. Mm. But these bits, you really feel now as if you're walking through an adult forest, a young yep. adult forest, yes. but an especially adult forest. Along the, well, not especially along the eucalypt walk, but the 
so the, the rows of eucalypts they have on the eucalypt walk yep. and then the angophoras on the other side, yep. they're all growing up and they're getting really tall. And the and trunks are looking fabulous. Yes, and, they you are. know, walking through them, you sort of, you do feel as if you're in a forest now, whereas before you just felt you were in amongst some sort of small trees. Yeah. But yeah, so it's great. And, and if you haven't been down for a while, it's well worth going back for yeah, a visit. Yeah. And it was great when it's we... It's always changing. When we left, the car park was nearly completely full. Yep. So it's fantastic to see it being used. And I think... A lot by the local community, mm. um, so I think that that's really good as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, it's especially yeah on the weekends and Saturday afternoons are really popular. People come for birthdays and picnics and go to the the, the bushland areas where all the you know the barbecues yep. and yeah and the playground up the back and yeah. stuff. But they come in and look at the garden as yeah. well. And yeah. yeah, and it's it's a great you know we're so lucky to have had people with the forethought. To create these sort of spaces. In the the Victorian era, we had all these people with forethought that gave us all our original botanic gardens, but we're very lucky to Mm. have had this space and people like Gwen and Roger to see it through. Mm. And and look, I don't know enough about the background to be able to name the people who've done it. So uh, Elizabeth Murdoch, obviously, and Maud Gibson. And and, yeah, so all those people who made it possible. Mm. And Um, it's exciting to see a young botanic garden. Like we don't, we don't yes. see that Melbourne so old, yep. and every other botanic garden, you know, that around Indeed. the world really is, is yep. old and established. And this is a young botanic garden; it's you know ten years old mm. in some parts. And it, as a plant person, you can see where what you know what's going to grow, and you can sort of see what it's going to be like in fifty years' time or a hundred yeah. years' time when those trees get really tall and and mm. and the landscape so it will change, but. And it's also interesting to see what they've got wrong because they're, <laughs> yeah. they, they obviously they didn't know what the climate was exactly going to be like yeah. and, and they had some issues with, with water staying around yeah, too water. long in soil yeah. and having to put in extra drainage and all that sort of thing. But it's the sort of mistakes that we make as gardeners. Mm, exactly. So it's actually encouraging to see that all these really amazingly it knowledgeable is. people can get it wrong too. But it is a garden so that... It, there are some spots where with, where some things aren't doing well, they take it out and they try something else mm. in that spot. And it's really mm. exciting to see some of the new things that are going in there as well and some of the new displays and the way that they're planting it, planting them. And um, there's a bit of a conversation around the different mulches that are being used there, which I think is really interesting because they find that in with some, particularly with native plants, that the, that the um, um, organic mulches like the barks and, mm. the, and the straws and things like that are not the right thing for them because mm. it actually stops the small amounts of water yeah. that might fall from getting deeper into the soil. So they use rock mulches around some areas which are, which are actually proving to be more effective than the bark mulches. That's one of the main, at the kangaroo paw symposium that the Friends yeah. in the Gardens held last year, that was one of the main things that came up is kangaroo paws hate organic mulches, bark and pine bark and all that, because where they grow naturally and where a lot of Australian, you know, the specky Australian plants grow naturally is in really sandy areas where there's not a lot of bark and leaf litter around, so the water just drains through straight away. They might get a lot of water, but it drains through and the the mulches don't hold on to that, you know, the moisture Mm. and, and, you know, so they don't get as many... um, Ink spot and and, and mm. rust mm. on on the on the leaves. Yep. So yeah, it's it's interesting mulches and yeah. Well, that's, we're learning all the time. We are it's learning. One of the joys yes. of gardening. That's great. Constantly. <laughs>
Okay, I must get to some community announcements. Uh, first up, as you may have heard uh, last week, um, <clears throat> Karen uh, Sutherland is running two workshops next uh, Sunday. Uh, the first one will take place in the morning, 10 a.m. through to 12 noon. This one is on bush herbs, wild foods in the city. Now, uh, <clears throat> this will be uh, discovering aromatic and exciting edible Australian native plants easily grown in uh, your suburban garden. Uh, she'll be uh, picking from the garden, taste testing, discussing culinary uses and how best to grow them. Uh, this will include uh, things like lemon myrtle, bush pepper, native salt, just to name a few. And uh, refreshments uh, will feature various bush foods and herbs from the garden. Now, um, the location is at Karen's uh, own garden, which is Gunya Garden, 22 Lochinvar Street, Pasco Vale South. Now, that's spelt L-O-C-H-I-N-V-A-R, Lochinvar Street, number 22 now, uh, duration will be for two hours for this workshop. Um, class size is a minimum of six, maximum of 12. Uh, you also get course notes, as I said, refreshments from the garden and a packet of seeds saved from Karen's garden as well. Now, the cost for that workshop is $45 per person and uh, you need to go to the website to sign up online. That website is www edibleeden.com.au so edibleeden.com.au now in the afternoon she's running a second workshop and this one is called uh, a permaculture primer with plants this will run from 1.30 through to 4 and uh, in this class she takes a deeper look at plants for the urban permaculture garden using her own garden as the classroom now uh, Ganya has been developed over 25 years and has over 200 edible and useful plants, including many bush foods, all packed into every available space. So this is a chance for a private visit to uh, this food forest to taste some seasonal fruits and be inspired to grow some of these unusual plants in your own garden. Again, notes will be supplied. Again, it's the same location, Ganya Garden, 22 Lock and Var Street, Pasco Vale South. Now, this uh, duration of this workshop is two and a half hours, um, and the cost of this one is $65 per person. Again, to uh, sign on, you you need to go to the website uh, edibleedendesign.com.au for both of those ones. Now, as I've been mentioning over the last couple of weeks. Um, the uh, <coughs> Yates Junior Landcare Grants for Gardens program is currently open for applications. Now, this is via the Junior Landcare website. Now, applications do close on Thursday the 29th of June, so time's running out. And uh, you do, if you're interested at all, you need to get onto that. Now, there's 15 grants. They're valued at $2,000 each. They're available for schools, youth groups and childcare centres. Um, now, they'll uh, benefit by getting uh, $1,500 in funding and then the added $500 will be uh, 
uh, made up of Yates Garden products and also a growing consultation with the Yates Gardening expert. So, um, so uh, cash of uh, 1,500 and then the Yates Garden products plus growing consulva- consultation uh, for the other $500. Now, interested groups are invited to submit a design for their dream garden within their school grounds or communities. And uh, Yates and Junior Landcare are looking for young imaginations to run wild. Think about the kind of garden they would love to grow. Veggie gardens, butterfly gardens, bush tucker and sensory gardens are just some of the projects that have been previously funded. So the all-important website um, is uh, landcareaustralia, all one word, .org.au forward slash grants dash four dash gardens. So uh, landcareaustralia.org.au forward slash grants dash four dash gardens for that one to um, to uh, submit an application. Uh, now also coming up um, in July uh, is NADOC week. Now um, Chloe you might be able to talk a bit about what's happening down at Cranbourne with NADOC week. Yeah, they've got, um, it's one of the biggest weeks in the Botanic Gardens calendar. So they have heaps of, uh, lots of uh, activities for school groups, but they have a fantastic relationship with the local Aboriginal um, people uh, um, of the Casey area and the, the Bunwurrung tribe, the Kulin Nation. And um, they, yeah, they run uh, activities and just getting out there, getting into the bushland and um, it, in, in conjunction with the with the local Aboriginal, so yeah. Well, the uh, the main family and friends day is taking place on Wednesday, the fifth of July. Now, the day will start with a welcome to country, followed by a range of cultural activities that are inspired by um, the animals, insects, and habitats found in a book that they are featuring, which is called Whose Animals Australia. Now, children, families and community will have the opportunity to celebrate Aboriginal culture, um, connect to the country and immerse themselves in traditional language, dance and storytelling uh, activities. Then workshops will include traditional storytelling, uh, Balak arts, traditional weaving, uh, nature-based crafts, bushwalks, Indigenous hip-hop project, which sounds interesting, (laughs) Um, as well as a variety of traditional and modern games and a free community barbecue lunch will also be provided. So that's all taking place um, down at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens on uh, Wednesday the 5th of July. Now, also in conjunction with NADOC Week, uh, Friends of the Melton Botanic Gardens are going to be holding a guided walking tour this will be on Friday the 7th of July, so that means people can actually go to both mm. events if they are so inclined. Now, uh, uh, it'll be a guided walk through the Melton Botanic Gardens to see local Indigenous plants from the Melton region and Aboriginal use plants, including bush tucker plants. Now, the gentle walk is about one and a half hours. It'll be followed by morning tea. Highlights are the natural features and remnant vegetation, Ryan's Creek and the Lake Indigenous Plantings, uh, Koori Student Garden, Indigenous People's Garden, Victorian Volcanic Plains Garden and the New Bush Foods Garden. Now the <coughs> details, as I said, it's Friday the 7th of July, 10am through to noon. That will include morning tea. 
you meet at the Depot and Plant Nursery, which is at 21 William Street in Melton. Now, bookings are essential to assist with the catering. So to book, you need to contact John Bentley. His phone number is 9743-3819. That's 9743-3819. You can leave a message if that phone is unattended. And, uh, or if you'd like to email, it's friends at fmbg.org.au. So that's friends at fmbg.org.au. And uh, just a reminder that um, the Friends uh, also run a plant nursery which um, raises uh, well-needed funding to go back into the botanic gardens. Uh, that location is also down at the gardens at 21 William Street in Melton. And uh, the opening hours of the nursery are Tuesdays, Thursdays, the second and fourth Sundays from 10am to 1pm and other times by appointment. Okay, uh, just a, a couple more I need to mention. Werribee Park Heritage Orchard have got their Heritage Fruit Tree Grafting Day coming up. Now this includes apples, pears, cherries, plums and more. Uh, now uh, the fruit trees are dormant so that's the time to uh, graft up new stock for the gardeners who want to grow heritage varieties at home. Now the volunteers have been honing their grafting skills for the day. Um, visitors can watch grafting demonstrations, then mix and match varieties of their choice with root stock to suit their garden. Experts will be on hand to help. Whether you're planning to train an espalier tree, grow miniature trees in a pot or extend your harvest. Now the heritage fruit collectors around the state will be contributing scion wood uh, from dozens of varieties so that uh, you'll have lots to choose from. Other growers will also have stalls on the day and the CWA will be keeping everyone fed with hearty fare and hot drinks. Uh, and also the Shadow Facts Winery is right next door. Now as well, there'll be orchard tours and a chance to look around the amazing market garden run by the local Karen Burmese community there. So this is all taking place Sunday, July 16, 10am through to 3pm. The place is Werribee Park Homestead. You enter via Gate 5, K Road in Werribee. Uh, it's free entry. Trees grafted to order from $15, Scion uh, $3 each. And uh, if you'd like more information, you can go to uh, the website, which is Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, all one word, .org.au. Okay, and uh, <clears throat> we should uh, now just go to a very quick announcement because we've got something very special coming up next Sunday. Faithful Gardeners, it's time to turn on and tune in to our annual Radiothon on Sunday the 25th of June from 7.30 to 10am and help keep your favourite gardening show growing. Listen in on Sunday the 25th of June and call 94198377 for great deals on seeds, new organic products, gardening tools, nursery vouchers, magazine subscriptions and new green focus book titles or make a tax deductible donation to support 3CR Community Radio. 
Join us at the station after the show from 10 to 12 noon to pick up your prizes, have a cuppa and say hello. Dig deep for the 2017 3CR Gardening Radiothon, 7.30 till 10am on Sunday, 25th of June. There's nothing I like better than working in my garden, helping all the plants grow with tender loving care. And, of course, that is next Sunday, so uh, we're revved up, raring to go. We've got a lot of product already arrived at the station uh, over this next week, there'll be a lot more coming in as well. There's going to be a whole team on air uh, to ready to uh, to try and entice you to uh, support the station and in particular 3CR Gardening Show. This is our one annual fundraiser for the year. This is where we... Uh, we rely on you, our listeners, to uh, to dig deep, as we said, and uh, grab yourself some wonderful product. And in exchange uh, for uh, the value of that, and and they're always cheaper than what you can buy uh, commercially. So a great chance to, uh, if you're running a gardening club, if you want to pick up some prizes, if you want to buy some. Um, some books or gifts to use as birthdays or Christmas gifts. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity. We will be running uh, on air for a longer time. We're extending our time up. So we're running from 7.30 until 10 a.m. next Sunday. And then, of course, we'd love to see you here in at the station. Uh, say hello. Have a cup of tea or coffee with us. Um, have something to eat. And... Uh, and it's all happening. So please, please tune in next Sunday and support The Gardening Show. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, well, it's high time we opened up our talkback lines this morning. If you would like to ask a gardening question or if you have a comment to make, do feel free to contact us. We have uh, Penny Woodward, author and edible plant expert in the studio. We also have Chloe Foster, who's a horticulturalist, a member of the Friends Group at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens and also works at uh, Melbourne Zoo in the nursery there. So do give us a call, 94190155. Now, Penny, um, Sustainable Gardening Australia, they've got a very special uh, funding. They have, raising. and the, the wonderful people at Sustainable Gardening Australia, do, there's some amazing team of volunteers there who can keep supplying us with really interesting information through their website and their newsletter if you want to sign up to it. They used to get state funding, and when that stopped, they decided to continue as a volunteer group. So they're a not, not-for-profit group. They've been functioning like that for several years now. But they have a, a special project that they've been working on. So on their website, they have um, been evaluating various garden products and telling us which are the safest um, products to use in the garden. I've heard about this project. Yes. Please tell me more. <laughs> and, um, and what they're now doing is they're trying to um, raise funds to actually come up with an app so that when you go into a... a um, somewhere to buy product you can actually you know look at what the product is and go into the app and find out what the possible problems might be with it how safe it is it's just more and more and, and certainly working with organic gardener you read these things all the time we're finding that the chemicals that we're putting into our environment although each individual one is tested to see whether it does harm or not and most of them don't get released unless they're under the level of causing Mm. harm. But the cumulative effect of these chemicals are causing problems, not to humans, 
to wildlife, to our waterways, to our fish, across a huge range of things. And you've probably heard about the effect that they're having on bees, Mm. some of them. But you don't hear about the effect that they're having on our native bees because half of our native bees haven't even been identified yet. Mm. Um, We just don't know what sort of damage we're doing there. And the damage we're doing to our waterways with the chemicals that go into our waterways is, is... terrifying Mm. and and as I said although one of them might not cause too much harm the the cumulative effect is causing all sorts of problems so um, Sustainable Gardening Australia are trying to get this app up and I had all this um, all ready to go but my (laughs) my um, iPad is just there now now I've got it back again I need to put my glasses on so they um, they want to Find, they want to contribute to minimising impacts of garden chemicals. So they have um, the website. Uh, they're actually doing it with chuffed.org rather than some of the other fundraising website. And Chuffed is an organisation that takes no money for themselves. Okay. So they only... When you when you go to give them some money, they ask if you would like to give a little bit extra to help cover their costs. But if you choose not to, you don't have to. Uh-huh. So they are all about not for profit organisations and trying to raise raise funds for projects like this. So it's okay. a, it's a really good platform that they're using. Probably the best way to access um, this is to do it through the SGA website because they've got a direct link to the fundraiser. Okay. So I think it's um, you just put in Sustainable Gardening Australia and you will find it'll take you to the website and you can then go from there to the platform. And look, $5 or 10 or 15 you know, just what you can afford would be really, really helpful. And then you can feel that you're actually part of... You know, sometimes we get so frustrated with the fact that we can't do anything about some mm. of this stuff that's happening. Mm. But this is a way that with a small donation, you can feel part of developing this app. And one of the things that really um, impresses me about this organisation is that the volunteers are often retired professional people. So they have biochemists, university level people working on this app. Um, so it'll be a really good product when it's when it's finished, when it's put together. Now they're hoping to raise twenty seven thousand, which is a lot of money, but with lots of small donations from lots of people, they'll achieve it. Yeah, it doesn't take long with these crowdfunding things, and a little bit from everyone uh, and, can go a really yeah. long way. And and look, it's a way that it, it sort of gives hope to mm. a community in a time when you there's so much that you feel as if it's things are going wrong. That, that by getting together on things like this, you, you can really make a difference. Yeah. Um, so, so are they looking at all pesticides and herbicides? Everything. Everything that's Besides. used in the garden. So yeah. it's not... Fertilisers as well? I, I'm not <coughs> sure about the okay. fertilisers, but it's any chemicals that are going to infect, affect the environment. Yeah. So, yeah, I would think that fertilisers would be included. Yeah. Um, but it's not just the, the, the actual chemicals that are active, it's also the adjuvants in the chemicals. So the things that make them stick to the leaves, which sometimes you'll have a a chemical that is actually okay in its own right, Um, but the the thing that makes it last longer or stick to the leaves better is more dangerous. So it's looking at everything that's that's in these products. Yeah. Big job. Indeed, it's it's huge, 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 and I and I, I really congratulate them for doing it. And as I yeah. said, they've been doing it in a 
um, in a way on their website. So if you want to have a look at some of the information that's there and what they've got to say about some of the products. Yeah, the SGA website is fantastic. It it is terrific. So you can see the sort of thing that will be on the app, but once it's on an app, you can carry it around with you and quickly identify whether what you're buying is a good thing or not. I mean, for me, a prime example is the difference between pyrethrins and pyrethroids. So pyrethroids are the, are the chemical form of the original pyrethrin that you get from the pyrethrum daisy. And everybody thinks that pyrethrum is a relatively safe spray. And it is if you are using the pyrethrin that comes from the daisy. But if you're using the pyrethroids, which is the chemi- chemically made sort of copy, and there's mm. a whole lot of them, there's now research that suggests that pyrethroids can um, co- affect ADHD in, in kids. Um, and se- several other things. So, you know, it's this, again, this cumulative thing. But these pyrethroids are used to control fleas, they're used on golf courses, yeah. they're mm. used because people think they're safe. They're probably using those sprayers that go off every half an hour in your home. Well, to yes, they, they could well you know, be. I don't just, know. I wouldn't have one. I don't of those. Know. I would never I have one either. They work. They're horrible. But, um, yeah, so, you know, you, you, yeah. The pyrethrins, mm. and we actually only have one organic certified pyrethrin spray in Australia oh, right. because all the others have piperonal butoxide in, it, in them, which is uh, an, uh, the, one of these additions to make them long-lasting. So even if they come from pyrethrins, they yeah. have piperonal butoxide, and they kill, that kills fish. Oh. So, you know, it's a... And, yeah, and we just, and I mean, I didn't know that, so things. we just don't know. Yeah, you know, so this is what this app yep. is trying to do so that you can quickly find out yeah. these things. And because it's an app, they can update it as new information becomes available. Yeah. But we need to get it out there in the first place. So I, I think this is a fantastic idea and I congratulate SGA for deciding to do this and getting behind yeah. it. And I think Megan Backhouse wrote about it in the AHS. I haven't had time to read the AHS, <laughs> but, yeah. So, uh, look, I'm really hopeful. But so it's been – it goes and think until um, about the 20th of July. Right. But it's been going for about a week now, and they've raised about 1,600. So they've got a fair way still to go. So yeah. if you could jump in there and just – and. Your money doesn't get taken unless they reach the full amount. So that's listeners might not realise this about the fundraising things. It only happens if they reach the amount that they've said that they're yeah, going to reach. So, yeah, yeah. But let's hope let's hope that they can do it because I think it's a really worthwhile mm. thing. Mm. Mm. Oh, good on them for. I mean, yeah, as, as Chloe said, what a huge project though. I mean. Lots and lots of work, but, you know, thank goodness someone is going to tackle this finally. Yes, yeah, and it's not happening. Government organisations aren't doing it. So, you know, we need to, this is where, you know, people can band together and do do really special things. Yeah, Yeah. and there are some very smart people involved in SGA. Absolutely. So it will be a legitimate Yes. Resource oh, very easy yes. to go to. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's not just mad enthusiasts like <laughs> me. <laughs> it's, um, it's people who really know their stuff. No, My yeah, friend Sharon Fuller, who's the, one of the people behind it and one of the um, main movers and shakers at, at, um, at SGA, she's a biochemist herself. So, you know, these are people who have really good qualifications mm. and know what they're talking about. Yep. Yeah, excellent. Really cool. okay. So how long is that? Running for I think it goes till about the third week of July, okay. but you can find all that out if you get onto the onto, the, onto website. the website. I think it's on yeah. the Facebook SGA Facebook it page is. as well. It is, yeah. But it, either the website or their Facebook yeah. page. But if you Google or 
if you put into your search engine, my search engine is DuckDuckGo, not Google. <laughs> um, if you DuckDuckGo it, then you can, um, you'll find it. Just put in Sustainable Gardening Australia yep. and, and you'll find it. In your, it in is, um, I've just found the, the info. It, it is actually finishing uh, at 5 o'clock on the 26th of July. Yeah, so. but don't wait until no, then. Do no. it now because they need to feel encouraged. They won't encouraged. know whether it's yeah. going to get Indeed. there or not. Yeah, and yes. you might forget. Yes. Very easy to forget. Okay, you are listening to... And it's tax deductible, I should have said. Oh, yeah, it is. They have, because they're a a not-for-profit organisation, they have tax deductibility status, so it is tax deductible. So it's a good thing to do before the end of the financial year as well. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to join us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. That number is 9... 419-0155. That's 94190155. We do have Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster in the studio this morning, so do give us a call, 94190155. Chloe, what's happening out at the zoo at the moment? Do do things calm down in winter? Do butterflies stop eating this much? Well, we wish the butterflies would stop eating so that we could have a break sometimes. I'm sure. (laughs) But the butterflies do not stop, okay. so therefore we cannot stop. <laughs> <laughs> but the plants slow down, so it's it's always at this time of year and at the end of autumn, it's a really big juggle because we have spring into summer and plants are bursting with growth and the butterflies are happily, happily breeding and then it gets a little bit colder and plants stop growing, but then there's still a lot of butterflies flying there's not as many plants, so it's this is a funny time of year for us because the the balance is out mm. a little bit between the amount of plants that we've got and the amount of caterpillars that we can feed. So it's a it's a little bit busy, but we've got one particularly problem plant at the moment. There's always a problem this plant. It's been a problem ever since the butterfly house was established 30 odd years ago or something. It's called Aristolochia. Um, it's the Dutchman's pipe vine oh, right. okay. and the food plant for the Cairns birdwing. So it's the, the most spectacular butterfly in the house. You know, it's bright mm. yellow, red and, you know, and green. And its plant is the hardest plant to grow in Melbourne in winter, because obviously. Because it's a tropical plant. Because it's a yeah. tropical plant. So, and it just gets every disease under the sun. So we're, we're in a bit of a funny zone with the Aristolochia plants at the moment where we've almost, we haven't lost them, but they've been attacked by thrips because it's in a greenhouse situation. Mm, yes, so, right. Um, and we're limited with the chemicals that we can mm, use. So, of course. Uh, the thrips have almost, they haven't killed the plants. They've just pretty much knocked off every leaf of the plant. Mm. Uh, but the plants come back and then they get thrips again and the leaves die. But we're getting we're getting there. They, you know, we, we've got to have a very very stringent fertilising uh, regime with this crop and and we've dropped back the numbers that they're breeding with the caterpillars so that helps so they're not haven't got as many caterpillars to feed and don't need to go through as many plants so we'll get there in the end (laughs) (laughs) you almost need to crop rotate don't you to have sort of three or four different greenhouses that you can move the Dutchman's please tell my boss that no (laughs) no we we do so that you can you know Avoid the the thrip load. Yeah, we have a separate greenhouse for this particular plant, Mm. and but those the plants in that greenhouse at the moment got really hard, got knocked as well. So 
we're almost in it as the football play football coaches say we're in a rebuilding phase with okay. the Aristolokies at the moment. <laughs> um, but it's like everything else is fine, you know. There's yeah. all heaps of blue banded egg flies and mm. um, the lemon migrants. Everything else is is growing all right at the moment. But it's just these okay. cans bird wings, and I know some people that have worked. Um, have done my job in the past, and they're like those plants are the hardest things to grow. Um, so you, you you couldn't get volunteers to grow them in their greenhouses at home and bring them into you, or you know that's that's a thought, yeah. Um, because you know that's the sort of thing that that people that so many volunteers get so excited about doing stuff like that. That's true. Because I'm hopeless at greenhouses, but other people <laughs> are very good at yeah, it. Yeah, a lot so. of people have little greenhouses yeah. in their backyard. Yes. Um, so do you need the plants actually on site eventually so that yeah, you so can we, feed them and we can't breathe use, it? Yeah, we can't use cut foliage with those yeah, because the okay. leaf just doesn't last as long. Yeah. Um, so we've got to have the plant mm. yeah, on in situ yep. for the caterpillars. Yeah. Uh, but it is a dry, tolerant plant, so it would be something that, you know, maybe someone could bring a bunch of them mm. um, into the zoo for us and and eat them down and then send them back. Okay. It's um, a good idea, okay. Penny. I don't mind that. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but yes. Well, I mean, certainly, if you can build up stocks, um, yeah, we've got in some way. Yeah, we've got yeah. a lot of we've got a lot of stock of this plant. It's just this in the last twelve months, they've they've really really declined. So we're getting we're getting on top of it now, though. It's it's we we can't treat them the same as we treat every other crop. So most other crops, you know, all go through the same process of rotation and, and um, pest management sprays and mm. all that. Uh, it's just these ones are a little bit fussier and they, they mm. need a little bit more personal attention. Mm. <laughs> but it's okay. It's worth it because that can yeah, bird is butterfly is incredible. Oh, yes. It is mm. absolutely incredible. So we'll get there. Mm. We got some seed the other day. We have some very good relationships with a lot of um, butterfly enthusiasts up in Queensland. Okay. So most of it's just retired people that yep. love their butterflies and mm. Have a backyard that these plants grow wild for them mm. up in Queensland and on Bribie Island. Mm. And are they are they threatened at all in 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 Kent's and in their own no, environment? No, they're not actually. So they're, okay, so there's enough of the different plants yeah. that they feed on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ulysses is a different is a different story. The Ulysses butterfly that sort okay. of goes. Uh, we haven't got them at the moment because in the wild they're sort of on a. They're not becoming extinct. They're not endangered, but they're in a. There's not many populations around at the okay. moment. Environmental factors for for breeding uh, might be uh, one of the reasons. But we're sort of low on numbers on the mm. on the Ulysses okay. butterfly, which is the big, beautiful blue one for yes. those at home. Um, but no Ulysses. Mm. Because of environmental, but the Cairns bird wings are yeah okay. they're everywhere up Good. there. So Good. we we can get the butterflies if if yeah. we need to because yeah. they're around. Okay. Yeah, but they're not cheap. So when you think about uh, you know the butterflies that we've got flying in the house and what goes into producing one butterfly to release mm. it, you know mm. the the, the fertilisers that we put on the plants and the time that it takes for that plant mm. to grow to feed that butterfly and each I think we were talking the other day each butterfly in the house is worth about fifteen to twenty dollars if mm. we had to buy yes, them right. in and in the numbers that we've got 
you know, that's mm, a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's such an important um, part of the zoo, the butterfly house, isn't it? it? Is. I mean, people come just to see oh, the yeah. butterflies. It's so. something really different to... And not, very special. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's not something that you get at every zoo. And yeah. we're very, yeah. we're very proud of... Of the butterfly house, yeah. And yeah it's, it's also the warmest job. place to visit in it winter. Is. Absolutely, <laughs> it's the best place to be. Go, go and hang out in the butterfly house. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you don't, so you nice. don't have to fight your way through the foliage and, no. and get rid of squatters each night. <laughs> <laughs> I found a couple of people. No, I haven't. <laughs> Usually, a couple of staff members having it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, okay. That uh, number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155. We are running through until 9.15, so we would love to hear from you. If you have a gardening question to ask this morning, please feel free to give us a call, 94190155. Penny, uh, organic gardener. Then next she has come out already. Gosh, it. Yeah, it happens. Through. This this was actually two months. The next one is the next two are the two together. The, yes. The ones yes. where we had, we do two in two months. But um, I think because you had um, an essential guide come out yeah, between that's right. it the felt, last, it felt it felt like it was, there was more. Yes. Certainly, when we were working on it several months ago, it felt like there was a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, there are some issues where you think, yeah, that's a really nice issue um, and um, it's as good as red. But this one, I think, is fantastic. I, I just, And it's not because I've got two articles in it either. It's just, to me, there's a, it's a really good balance of a whole lot of different things. So um, we've got something about biochar again, which is always an interesting thing. And, and Pete's recipe for making your own biochar, which is um, I'm actually going to attempt this year. I've got this bucket of... of um, Charcoal all ready to pound up in, in the appropriate manner. Okay. Um, there's the usual ones on a couple of crops, which is peaches and broadbeds. Uh, but there's a really nice one from Justin about hedging, how to, how to the old um, fashioned way of doing, creating hedges the way they were created mm. in, in Europe. Um, which the, the hedgerows in, in the UK and Ireland and in Europe are really important biodiversity mm. hotspots, um, yes. which they've realised after having sort of ripped a whole lot of them out. They've stopped that happening largely now. Um, and also dry stone walls. So dry stone walls are, are just amazing things. And, and um, my daughter Ellen actually went to a dry stone wall building um, workshop that was run by the National Trust and by the Melton Shire Council because they have a whole lot of dry stone walls down there. And, um, excuse me, and uh, so there's an article in there about building dry stone walls and, and the Melton dry stone walls are actually heritage protected. So in areas where development's happening, some of the developers try to um, remove the dry stone walls because mm. they're an awful nuisance, um, and they and they can't um, because they're protected. And and these workshops that they run from time to time are to do with getting the public's help to actually rebuild some of these dry stone walls. So right. there's a whole lot of different sorts of dry stone walls. These ones are ones that have. Um, two sides and a cavity in the middle that you oh, fill yes. with rubble yes. and then you put a top on it. But some of the other dry stone walls are just built with flat, you know, amazing craft around the Port Ferry area. amazing craft work, yeah. stonemasons, yeah. And when, when I was in Ireland a couple of years ago, we were seeing dry stone buildings and dry stone walls and dry stone beehive huts that were um, close to 2,000 years old. Mm. So oh, they've wow. just stood there all that yeah. time. So they're amazing. Anyway, so Justin writes about 
dry stone walling in places that you can go to find dry stone walls. I've actually written about hops, um, which it's really interesting that there are now uh, na- you can now for the home garden get some of the named cultivars of hops. Mm. It used to only be that you could get green hops and golden hops. That's right. But you can now get named cultivars that have specific flavour profiles mm. for making flavouring your beers. Um, so they have herbal, herbal. Um, uh, they're, they're interesting herbal products for sleep and various other things, but they're also for, for flavouring beer. And with the whole beer renaissance, mm. people are looking for ways of flavouring their own beer. And I found out in the process of writing the article that, for instance, Red Hill Brewery, that's not far from us, grows their own hops to flavour their beer. Most most beer makers import their hops or yep. they just mm, buy the yep. hops in. But they grow their own, and I only I found out a week after they'd harvested their, their <laughs> hops crop, so I couldn't oh. go and get photographs. <laughs> Next year. I felt like a complete idiot, and I should have <laughs> done something about it first. But, um, yeah, so I've, there's a few um, uh, um, hops cultivars that I actually profile the flavours and, and how that can be used, and then we have an article following that about how to make your own beer and flavour it. So that's that's all part of that. But perhaps, um, and, and Jessamy's got some fanta- a fantastic article about um, chooks and the chook loop, so how you can use your chooks to um, recycle your, your um, kitchen scraps, which then go into, into manu- you know, their manure then goes into the compost or into the garden, and that, that whole chook loop. And it was very exciting for me that my sister Lib, who is a conservationist and has been growing Australian indigenous plants for 30 years and worked for Landcare and done a whole lot of things and at the moment they're rehabilitating two separate properties replanting and revegetating with indigenous flora and they have um, Victorian native seed which sells um, seed for Victoria which they grow on their own property um, but she's written about uh, creating a bird friendly garden and it's you know with her knowledge it's got mm. some really interesting things in it and some beautiful beautiful photos by Jeff Park who is a wonderful man who takes fabulous photos of birds and uh, not as a profession but because he's passionate about it. So that's a really nice article. But the main article that, that I've written in there is about a, a sustainable... Um, a, oh God, I've forgotten the term. It's called Transition Farm and it's um, a sustainable um, horticulture farm which basically what they do is... They get the members of their of their um, farm to pay for producing the produce before it's produced. So they have the money up front to buy the seed, to propagate the seed, to plant it, to grow it, mm. to and and um, it's a community supported agriculture. That's what I was trying to say. Okay. Um, and and over the period over a period of time, by paying this money up front, they get this box of amazing vegetables every week. So they call into the farm once you're a member and you've paid. You call into the farm once a week. You pick up your box of vegetables and you take it home. And you can do it fortnightly if you want to, but you commit to a whole season of. Um, of vegetables. Oh, wow. And when I was there and researching the article, they, I interviewed some of the people who are, who are collecting these boxes, and they just say that the flavour of this food mm. is extraordinary. And they, they, um, they run um, the farm on organic principles. They, the, they started off with, and to me this is part of the journey, and because I've gardened in this, these soils, I know what they're like. They started off with 
almost pure sand. Um, and and Peter and um, Robin, who who owned the property, said that when they first planted, everything died because mm. it was like planting. They were trying to grow green manure crops, and it was like planting mm. peas in beach sand. Mm, yes. That's how bad it was. Yes. But eventually, things started growing, and um, and they just kept they they dig them back in, and they or cut them off and drop them, and they'd plant another crop, and they just kept doing that on the property over three or four years. Um, and eventually they've ended up with this amazing soil. And all they use, they, they use 50, I think it's 56 different green manure crops over a 12-month oh, period. Wow. She, Robin runs the farm on an 11-year rotation cycle. Um, so she has a plan out for 11 years as to what's going to be grown where and, and what's going to go into the soil. They make their own compost and they use chook tractors all over the property for um, digging things back into the soil. So it's the green manure cro- crops um, and some biodynamic products. So that's the only thing. They don't bring anything else in. For, they don't bring external compost or manures or anything. They grow it all themselves. Mm. They grow all their own seeds on the property. So they don't import seedlings. Um, and they just grow this most amazing food. Um, and they use hedgerows in all sorts of different ways. So they have flower hedgerows that attract all the beneficial insects running up behind, be, near the polytunnels and, and um, in between the crops. They, when they first started establishing the property, they, put, they, encouraged, they replanted all the native plants around the perimeters mm. and in different areas. And they said they found that by doing that, they um, encouraged the fungal, um, normal fungal growth in the soil, in the soil food web. And that gradually spread into the rest of the property from these hedgerows and and native plants that they were putting back in. Um, So they have a really active soil food web all the time. It's just, it's the most extraordinary story. And I I want to find out more with this article. (laughs) Well, it's, you you can go, just go to their website, which is transitionfarm.com.au. And um, I just think this is it here. And they've got this on the website and on their Facebook page. and, And Robin also does Instagram. Last year, she did a post every single day talking about biodynamics. Um, no, talking about the farm this year, every single day she's taking a photograph and talking about um, biodynamics. So, you know, they're really intellectually involved mm. with this as well as being really physically involved with it. And I just I just think these stories are inspirational. Mm. And I, I think Robin and Peter Carline um, are just amazing people and um, doing some fabulous stuff out there. And if you're down on the peninsula and you can't grow your own food for whatever reason, this is a really good way of getting really nutrient-dense, beautiful food. Mm. So what sort of acreage are we talking about? They're actually only they're farming 2.75 hectares. Okay, so not big. Not huge, mm. but it's only the two of them doing it. Yes. So, you know, it is hugely hard work. Yeah. I, you know, I just... Our, our producers, people who produce this sort of thing, they just work from dawn until mm. dusk. And after, with the whole connecting with your community thing, yes, um, they're also. I've had emails from Robin at midnight, you know. So she's still engaging and doing stuff. Oh, you know, and Peter's the same. Um, and and integrity is the other thing that they that is really important to them because people have to understand how they're doing it and why they're doing it the way they're doing it. And the fact that they're not 
adding things to their food that you, as we were talking about before, with pesticides and things. They don't use any pesticides. They don't use any of those sorts of things. They find cultural ways of dealing with... And it's not a monoculture, their farm. It's not a monoculture. It's this amazing... And that's one of the things that they said is that it's the diversity of Mm, their property that keeps everything going the way that it does, um, the way that it functions. So it's just a great story. So people can obviously sign up to become sort of a member... Yes. And you just go and pick up a box of fruit, fruit and veg. No, it's veg. veg. Just veggies. Yeah. And occasionally, look, they do have fruit trees and occasionally they throw in some fruit. But it's, no, it's the veggies that you're paying for. And do you, do you choose, or is it whatever's there that week? It's pretty much what's there that week, but they have what they call a a swap box, which is, because some people can't eat some veggies. So, so that if there's something that you can't eat or you know your family won't eat, you can swap it out and take something from the swap box. Okay. Pretty much it's what is set out, yep. but you get to pick which bunts of carrots you have and which. So you do get, if you're, you know, they do, they're there over three days each yeah. week. So um, you do get to um, collect it. So look, it's not a property that's open for you to just go and look at. No. But yeah. um, if you want to find out more, you can ca- you can contact them through the website or just Read through their Instagram yeah, that stream because they there's some really interesting information up there. Yeah. So um, how many how many members do you think they would have? I think roughly? they've got about sixty. Oh, so gosh, just I keeping think. sixty people. Yeah. Fed fed. No, actually, sorry, I'm wrong. It's 120 because some Goodness. of them are two weekly ones and some of them. Oh are, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it, when you have a two-weekly one, you have to have someone else who is coming the other week. Of course. So they are providing a certain number of boxes every week, and yes. whether you're a weekly or a two-weekly, you, mm. you, you've got to, there's certain structures around it that have to be followed for it to work. Um, so if you can't turn up to pick up your box, you can get someone else to do it, or you can um, agree to donate it to charity if you happen to be away. That week, okay. So you know there That's are fantastic. alternatives around mm. it, but yeah, you do need to commit. Yes. To to pick and it's it up. only them that the two of them that work on the. They occasionally company. have interns or yeah. volunteers yeah. helping. So part of it is if you, as part of being involved, being members, you can um, you can offer to volunteer to you know help pick yeah. the products or help do do things around the property. But basically, it's the two of them that do the whole thing. Amazing. Yeah, they're incredible <laughs> Just people. Just photo here of the, the yeah. yeah, on the on the in the, the polytunnel. Yeah, in the yeah. polytunnel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just, I mean, just training them. Yeah. And, and you know, clipping them to the yeah. to the lines. And look, just harvesting growing. the produce. Yeah. Yes. They they stop for about three months, or supposedly stop for three months in winter, but they they don't supply boxes for about three months. Okay. Yeah. To give them a break to get things reorganised yes. and to be able to spend a bit of quality time with their kids. Yeah. Um. And and they uh, and to plan for the next season. Mm. So apart from that, they're they're working seven days a week. Yeah, you know, not quite twenty four hours a day, but pretty long days. Yes. Yeah, goodness. So look, I, it's a story that's worth reading. Reading because one of the things they're hoping this this um, community supported agriculture is quite big in the US, but it hasn't really taken off in yeah. Australia. There's a couple. There's a pork producer in in northern Victoria who is a community supported agriculture person, but there's somehow it hasn't really grasped the imagination and taken off in Australia that way. And, and Peter and, and Robin are really hoping that by letting people know what they're doing, mm. 
that there might be other people who a bit further down the road might start doing the same thing and and then a bit further away someone else might start doing it and we will all have ways of accessing this nutrient amazing nutrient dense food yeah so yeah it's um is there any sort of um overriding organizing body uh for this type of agriculture um, i think there's there is an organization but i i don't i mean i think that these guys are working so hard that and they're sort of reinventing the wheel themselves it's yes. taken them three or four years to come up and to come up with a model that works for them yes so at one when they first started i think they were offering to deliver the boxes but they just found they couldn't oh, do couldn't that it was just that. too hard yeah so they they had to change that so um and there are some people who say, why don't you just sell it at the road? And and as as they say, you know, that you can be left with a whole lot of stuff when that happens. Whereas yes, doing it this way, yep. they can plan and they can make sure that you, you know, you get, you get your produce. And it was really interesting interviewing one woman who gets a box each week who's a dietitian. And she said through her practice that she talks to people and tells them they need to eat more salads. And they say, but salads are boring. She said, this produce is not boring. It has amazing flavours mm. because it's grown mm. the way that it's grown. And mm. it, you can just, every single person that I spoke to, and there were eight or ten of them, they all said that the flavour is extraordinary. So, And we know that when yeah. we harvest our own yeah, fruit you just, from the exactly. garden. And you just don't get it from supermarkets. No, oh, supermarkets. no not at all. But, it, but it's, in some ways it's more than that because they've got the soil food web right yeah. and the, the nutrients right, the you are getting really nutrient-dense food when it's grown in this way. Mm. So even better, I think, than some of our gardens. Mm. Well, we'll go to our first caller, and we have uh, Hugh in the Yarra Valley online. Good morning, Hugh. Uh, Pam, good morning. Good morning, panel. Good morning, Victoria. Mm. Um, I listened yesterday to 3CR, and they were all having their fundraisings. Yes. And I thought, ah... Tomorrow is Sunday, and the garden program will have its fundraising. No, it's next Sunday, Hugh. Yeah, thank you very much, because you, uh, you diced me out of bed early. Ah. <laughs> well, anyway, once I'm preparing myself, um, I listened to your program, and there was somebody talking about the bottle tree. Yes, yes. And I didn't quite get the full message. I, una- I, I understand it would be the brachychitin. It is a brachychitin, yep. Well, there is, um, um, there's also the, the boab. I don't think the boab is also called the bottle tree. Am I correct? Strictly, no. Yeah. Um, some people may call the boab a bottle tree, but it is a totally different species. And yeah, it is, you can only ever? grow it in northwest Australia, whereas bottle trees can be grown over most of the Australian mainland. Yeah. But have you ever heard of anybody growing successfully boabs in Victoria? No. No. Because I sank a lot of money in it, and I got had two shipments of boabs from the Northern Territory, and um, I lost all my money. Yeah. But the I have a lot of brachycytins, and that's what we're bringing up. I, from what I have heard this morning, you're recommending this tree uh, very strongly. I, I, I couldn't quite get the full message. I have about 20 of them, maybe yep. a few less, I'm not quite sure. But something like that, between 12 and 20, anyway, something like that. And I wanted to put one on the on the footpath. And uh, I wasn't quite sure whether that's a good idea, but I found encouragement in, in, your, in your repertoire 
Um, yeah. yeah, look, what all we were doing was repeating what we were told yesterday. So, so we're not experts in Bible <laughs> no, trees. No, no. But Attila Capitani showed us photograph after photograph of um, bottle trees used as street trees and, and showed us that there was no problem with roots and getting into drains or anything like that. Or, because or digging up the footpath, yeah, lifting up the footpath. Because they store their moisture in their trunks. And they don't need to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I, I've been contemplating to put some brachychitans onto the footpath, um, but I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, you need, uh, to, you need to make sure that it's a brachychitan rupestris, yes. which is the bottle tree, the true no, no, Queensland bottle tree. No, I know that for sure. I know that yeah. from the... Okay. I, that, that part I, I'm quite sure of. Yep. Yeah, Pam, there's another little thing I want to talk about. Yes. Um, talking about fundraising. Way back in, in, in the last century, when we were doing some fundraisings, and I was mixed up in fundraisings for 3CR and what later became 3EA, right? And um, the, back to the fundraising of 3CR, we had the ballroom dance in the, in the town hall there, in, in, uh, somewhere near uh, Brunswick. Uh, I can't remember. Then. It's near the town hall. Um, the, with, with the ACTU town hall is uh, somewhere in that area, and uh, we did extremely well as in, in, a, in, in a dance. Right. But what I'm bringing up for is, um, I, I could visualize that we have a 3CR picnic, and we found some fundraising in, in picnics uh, very very um, successful, and I, I would find. I would be very interested to hear from anybody who'd be interested in organizing a picnic in, say, an, an open space area, say, like in Fernie Creek. No, I'm saying Fernie Creek because I know it. You might have it in Greensboro. You might have it in other parts of the world. And what we did is um, we just come along and we had a little band and everybody brought his picnic thing and his barbecue thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we sent the bucket around. Mm-hmm. And it, it was amazing, and also you would meet the presenters, and you could you could have you would have a chance to give them a little Christmas present if you arrange it for say November <laughs> or early December or something like that. Now I'm probably completely out of order again. No, that's okay, Hugh. We did but, we did used to have um, uh, a 3CR gardening show visit to. Um, a particular garden or um, a park uh, each year, and th- and that was everyone brought along a, a picnic lunch, and we all shared it. Um, but we haven't done that for the last few years, mostly because um, because most of us now are just tied up with so many things that it becomes uh, it became just too much to try and organise. But oh, I, you're not kidding. I'm yeah. in big trouble because of organising these things. Okay, <laughs> but I do take your your, your point on board and. Uh, yeah, maybe we can get round to doing it again sometime. Yeah, well, anyway, I, I just threw it in for good measure since we're talking about fundraising. Okay, good on you, Hugh. Yeah, good. And thanks for your information on the broken items. Okay, then. No Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, now, someone on the outside line wants uh, another mention of uh, the farm we've just been talking about and the addition of the Organic Gardener magazine. Okay, it's, it's Transition Farm. Um, and the web address, I actually got it slightly wrong. It's just transitionfarm.com. There's no AU on okay. the end. 
Um, and the edition is the July-August 2017, and you'll recognise it because it's a vibrant green colour with a beautiful black and white speckled chook <laughs> yeah. on it. So, and um, it's only just out. It's it, last week, yeah. Yeah, so oh, it in the mail it, last week. Yeah. 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 So it's you it should be on your news agent shelves now. The old the old copies, the asparagus one, if they had any left over, they would have been sent back and you should have the chooks there. Now, so it's it's and it's organic gardener, the ABC organic gardener, not not organic gardening, which is a different publication. Which is quite confusing. It is a bit. But look for the chook. Look for the chook, yes. exactly. Okay. Uh, we'll go to our next caller, and we have um, Anne, who's in Northcote. Good morning, Anne. Hi, good morning, everyone. My question is, well, a long time ago I was told that um, milk is good for roses, so I always wash out my containers and tip that the contents onto the roses. Is this a good thing or not a good thing? Um, is it like blood and bone, maybe? Look, the, I, I don't know about actually using it to water the roses. Certainly if you want to control um, the black, um, the fungal disease that the rose leaves get, then um, using milk as a spray on those will help to reduce the, that, the fungal attack. So but you, it needs to be diluted. Yeah, yeah. so dil, diluted nine to one, so one part milk and nine parts water, and you spray it over the leaves particularly as, you, as we start going into the warmer weather in spring, um, when the leaves start regrowing, you will, you will help to get rid of the, the black spot on the, on the roses. But I wouldn't necessarily just be putting it on the roses all the time. No, because if you increase the moisture on the leaves too much, um, you can actually encourage fungal disease. Exactly. Mm. So only, only use it um, during the periods where you know that well, you've got. where you're going to have fungal disease. Mm. So All right. I, I wouldn't so, but no nutritional value in the soil. Not, no, not no, that we know no. of, anyway. Hmm. But if you've been noticing your roses have been growing better since you've been doing it, there's yeah, no reason. Right. There's no reason why you shouldn't keep doing it. So Thank it's not you. going to do it any harm. Yep, lovely. And I've got a second question, please. Yep. Um, I use the coffee grinds around the garden, and I just wonder sometimes does it alter the pH balance of the soil? I use them quite frequently on the garden. Um, look, if you if you keep putting in this, uh, putting them in the same place week after week, month after month, year after year, then yes, it will. Um, if you spread them ran- pretty randomly around the garden, then it probably won't. Uh, I actually put all mine through the worm farm because yeah. I find the l- worms adore them. I get very active worms with they my coffee grounds. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. yes, or in the so, compost, in the compost, or in the compost. With everything else. Yeah. So the the pH change would be to an acidic change. Indeed. Yep. So it'd be good for lemons. Um. Yes, mm. I would have said lemons are a more lemons, neutral. Yeah. Um, neutral okay. alkaline. Yeah, it's good for camellias and rhododendrons. Yeah. And ah, good. Those okay, sort of great. things. Yeah. Yep. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you very much. No okay, worries. Bye. 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 All right, that number, uh, if you'd like to join us this morning, we're running through for another roughly half an hour or so till 9.15. We'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show and in the studio this morning we do have Penny Woodward and Chloe Foster. So uh, jump on board uh, and give us a call. As I say, we'd love to have a chat, 94190155. 
Chloe, do you ever get to work um, anywhere else around the zoo apart from in the nursery? Yeah, every now and then I'll, uh, I have a day or so out in the ground. So I get to, I usually just help out one of our other Hort staff that, 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 uh, and work on their precinct. So if they need, they need some extra manpower or woman power and, you know, to get some mulching done in the, in the gorilla exhibit or, you know, do some whippersnippering. Or something like some, you know, some some other of the larger work. So, I was in um, the Colobus exhibit a little while ago. So they're these, and animals aren't my thing, but <laughs> they're these arboreal um, tree monkeys. Arboreal mean tree, yep. uh, with really really long fluffy black and white tails, and um, they've got really they're, they're not short haired um, monkeys. They've got you know quite long hair. Anyway, so they have, we're in their exhibit, you know, doing some pruning and mulching. There's some plectranthus and um, lamandras in, in that exhibit. So pruned back those and remulched it and raked up their poo and <laughs> glorious little things like that. Do you reuse the poo? Yeah, so the zoo actually has a, an amazing um, waste uh, recycling program. All of our all of our green waste goes into a hot rot machine, it's called. So all of the poo from all of the animals, all of our um, leaf litter gets put into this hot rot machine, it's called. It's a giant composting machine, mm. produces something like two tonnes of compost a day. Yeah. I would imagine that you need to rake out the poo because you might be encouraging disease yep. to, to yes. leave it there. Yep. But by putting it through the hot compost, you would kill off those Absolutely, Any nasty yeah. bacteria yeah. and stuff in there, yeah. and that would you can then use yeah. it back in wherever you want it. Yeah, so we yeah. we do Fantastic. use the compost in you know in garden beds if we need it. Yep. But there is a product that you can buy in nurseries called Zoo Grow, and that's what that's what the hot rot is. Okay. That um it's it's yeah organic waste from the zoo. So, mm. uh, it, it, you know people can can use it in their gardens, and we use it in our garden beds as well as compost, not as not as topsoil or garden yep. mix, but. Um, we we chip every you know everything and and and, and use it as mulch and all of the uh, takeaway containers at the zoo are recyclable as well and they all go into the hot rot so okay. there's there's a there's a target of does that include coffee cups inclu- yes including the coffee cups so that they've they've got. they use compostable yeah cups. yeah okay. I've been watching the war on waste yeah. lately yeah. and coffee cups with that tiny little plastic Mm. Inside uh, plastic layer inside there, aren't recyclable. It's not yeah. good, um, but yeah, the ones we have go straight into the right. And I think with the heat as well, it helps mm. break it down because it is. I'm not sure on the temperature, but it is. You know, a, yep. a really, it's it's hot. Fantastic. It is. It's, it's so it's good to hear of big organisations, you know, like the zoos, yeah. and councils, and you know, really getting on board. It's, some it's of these really, recycling. yeah, I'm really impressed by by how they do it. There's a we've mm. got a, a massive um, water treatment plant as well, so. Yep. All of the water in the moats around the zoo are recycled. When they're emptied, it goes into the water treatment plant. The water's treated, and we use it to get. We use that water in yep. the nursery. It's used in our in all the irrigation in the gardens around the zoo. Um, it, yeah, it's a, it's fantastic. There is a target of of zero waste, mm. zero landfill um, over the next couple of years, and they're getting really close to it. Okay. Eight, we recycle eighty percent of the rubbish mm. in the zoo. And Fantastic. Yeah, all plastics and stuff are, um, are separated and, and, and sent off. Mm. Um, but, 
you know, they're, they're recyclable. Everything else is recycled. Everything else is recycled. Sorry, I distracted you from the colobus. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'm quite happy to talk about rubbish. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, um, I can't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, we're in the colobus exhibit and um, pruning back everything and the, you know, there's bamboo that grows through all of the, the clear off the bamboo and um, sort of open up the paths so that, you know, you can... So people can see mm. can see the colobus. There's some exhibits where we cannot get any plants to grow in there because as soon as you put something in, the animals will just destroy it. Yes. So mm. it's it's that's the the challenge about yeah gardening at mm. the zoo is you've got you know there's not just little pest diseases and little um, insects. You have that all might, these critters that want to eat everything. Large critters, <laughs> yeah, that can just absolutely destroy plants that you've been growing and you think oh i'll grow it to an established size so you put in you know something a tree that's five years old and it gets destroyed overnight you know it just gets knocked out and the leaves are all eaten and it's a real challenge yeah yeah it's a real challenge (laughs) okay let's go to some of our callers uh let me see first up we have uh pam who's out in Coburg. good morning pam oh good morning panel how are you we're well um, I've got a question for Penny about sure, the favourite topic, garlic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I missed most of what you said at, um, when you were talking about being able to, you were going to try planting garlic late, and I've had a yep. hold up with my bed prep, so it looks like I'm going to have to uh, plant it quite late this year. Yep. So is there a particular type of garlic that is Yeah, there is. What, do you know what garlic you've got? Oh, I haven't got it got any yet oh okay um look if most of the turban garlics which is what lots of people like to grow will have sprouted by now so it's it's really probably too late to plant turbans um but you could plant now uh, particularly with this unusual weather that we're having we haven't you know there's still a bit of warmth around during the day Mm. and you you should get decent sprouting fairly quickly you may not get the same size bulbs that you would have got otherwise because you won't have quite as long a growing period Um, but if you get them in in the next couple of weeks then then you um, may still get a really decent crop out of it the thing that I was saying um, last time I was on is that I'm going to experiment this year with planting in spring so that'll be um, late August um, beginning of September I think I'll probably try putting them in Um, and really the only ones that um, that that's worth trying with those other creoles because partly because they won't have sprouted um, because they're much longer storage um, but also because in in France in some European countries they do actually grow these garlics as a spring crop now they probably won't work in in Australia um, maybe in Tasmania because they get the longer day lengths um, but okay. they may work in Victoria. So I just want to have a go and see. So if you want to yeah. do something experimental, you could leave a little bit of your, gar- your garlic patch and put, a, put some creoles right. like, like Dynamite Purple or Spanish Roja yeah. or, or um, Rojo de Castro. Um, right. But look, I wouldn't put your whole crop in then because I don't know whether it's going to work or not in Victoria. Yep, yep. Now, the, with the ones that are just sprouting, about yep. to sprout... I, I'm, I probably won't have the bed ready in two weeks. Is it possible or does it work to plant them into, um, you know, small ch- 
pots? Yeah, look, you can. I know people who do that. I also know people who, when you know, if you if you forget to harvest something, it starts sprouting. Um, and I know people who dig those up and pull them apart and and replant them with their roots and and tops attached. Yep. So yeah, look, they're pretty flexible. Just, it, it, okay. Again, okay. you've you've got the thing of maybe they won't do quite as well as if they'd gone into the ground at the right time. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, but it's that's certainly understandable. But I, yeah. I like the sound of the spring. Yeah. And um, I have got a, some garlic waiting to be planted, but I'm building a new um, wicking bed, and it okay. had a few delays in it. Yeah. I, look, um, wicking beds can be problematic with garlic. Uh, there's a bit of mixed mixed um, reporting on it. Uh, there are some people who've found garlic almost impossible to grow in wicking beds because the roots stay too wet yep. um, down the bottom. Um, and there are other people who've said that they've been really successful. So, again, yes, you're I've going to be... I've seen some garlic from um, my cousin's wicking bed, which and that is worked? fabulous. Great. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, look, the more feedback we can get on that, the better idea we'll have on whether, you know, mm. wicking beds are okay for garlic or not. So that would be mm-hmm. great. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. Good luck, okay. Pam. Report back to us. Okay. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on, we're going to Thelma, who's out in Oak, Oak Park. Good morning, Thelma. Oh, good morning, panel. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm interested in planting another camellia in my place, and, uh, you know, I know camellias are slow growing. I'm wanting this one for a screen <clears throat> and um, purpose. It would have to be where I'm planting it. It's going to get uh, quite a bit of sun, morning and afternoon. Um so I was just wondering, can you suggest any any of the camellias, the sanquas that are quick quick growing, and that keeping in mind it's going to be a screen bush. Um, look, I'm not a camellia expert, but certainly it would need to be a sasanqua, as you've mm. said. Mm. I, I don't think any are faster growing than the others. No, um, I, don't I, don't, I have either. never heard of ones being particularly Nothing fast growing. spring to mind when I was in retail nurseries that yeah. were any quicker than others. So I would just choose one that you like. Uh, and I do know that, that camellias will prune. So you can mm. prune it to to where you want it to go or, and what you want it to do. Or something that is more advanced. So yeah. pay a bit of yeah, extra money, get something a bit bigger. I, I bought a more advanced one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it may, I might have, you know, better luck with it growing or getting there quicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. I think that's about the only way you'll get yeah. a bit of hype to it. Yeah, the, the pa- the pa- there's a lot of the paradise ones, paradise blush, uh, they seem to flower over a long period, and they they're um, you know quite um, oh, quite bushy. Is, is that the case with them? Uh, look again. I'm sorry. I'm not no. the right person I'm to ask a about camellias. I'm not expert either, but you probably know as much as, <laughs> yeah. as I do. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, there's the volunteer camellia is a really, really popular variety. It's got a big flower. It's a really, it's a really dense grower, so it'd be good for a screen. Um, there's some that that their their stems they've got quite long stems on them, so you can train them or sort of espalier them. Oh, yes. um, yeah, the, the paradise one isn't too bad. I I can't think of this a sno- snowball or something. It's something that's got the word snow in it. That's that's a good screening one as well. But I can't remember the full name of it. Okay. All right then. Well, thank you very much. Thank okay you. then. Bye. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Hugh out in Coburg. Good morning, Hugh. 
Good morning, Colonel. How are you today? We're well, thank good. you. That's good. Um, I'm a beekeeper in the northern suburbs in Coburg. Okay. Yep. And just thank you for the device, diverse um, conversation this morning. It's <laughs> all right. <laughs> Glad you liked it. Rabbiting on. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was bringing you up to let beekeepers, um, prospective and current beekeepers, know that the Collingwood Children's Farm has an apiary down there. Yes, that's that's our good friend Barry Cooper. Yes, I exactly. presume Barry's still there, is he? Yes, he is, yep. And, yeah, all's going well and just encouraging anybody that wants to learn, ask questions, uh, try out or anything like that to come down on the second and fourth Sundays. Um, I just thought I'd share that out there. Oh, that's, yeah. that's great advice. I have friends who are you know, putting beehives in and learning is really important before mm. you put them in. You really do need to do a course or talk to beekeepers or have someone yeah. as a mentor to get it right. It's not so, something you can just you. start and do. You, yeah. need, you need to yeah, I really think, yourself beforehand. I really think probably one of the best ways if you're contemplating keeping bees is to join a bee club. Yeah. Indeed. Yes, because you get a lot of support that way and, and yep. you learn so much. But, but it yeah, would be great I, to go down and have a look. I agree with you, Hugh, too, that um, it's, it's great for the children to go along to Collingwood Children's Farm and, and to learn a bit about uh, beekeeping because it's such a fascinating topic. Absolutely. And the adults are like, there's suits down there, there's hives down there. So anybody yes. wants to get their hands in and have a look, um, in the spring and the summer, it's a really awesome opportunity. Um, lots of wealth of advice, but just a really unique thing in Melbourne, I think. And there, yeah, my bees swarmed um, 1st of October last year. All right. So I'm concentrating on swarm prevention and just responsible beekeeping. Yes. Yep. So anyway. Fantastic. Excellent. You're interested to be aware of Collingwood Children's Farm Free and... Okay. Thanks Fantastic. for the reminder. Thanks, you. No worries. Have a great day. Thank you, guys. Bye. And if, even if you don't have bees and if you do live in inner city, lots of flowers, you know, mm. something for mm. your neighbour's bees to yep. to get the nectar off and yeah. Absolutely. have some flowers in, you know, flower pots. And it was interesting that some research that was done by um, Melbourne Uni looked at um, the effect that uh, whether our gardens with lots of flowers in it are good for native bees or not. And while they're really good for honeybees, mm. they're not as good for some of the native bees because mm. the native bees for nesting actually need um, open earth. Oh, right. So because we're madly mulching everything in sight, we're not necessarily providing um, perfect areas for, um, for ne- the nesting of some of the native bees. And they actually found that they did better on golf courses than, oh, really? than, in, than in our suburban garden areas. Yeah. So suburban garden areas with lots of flowers, you really need them for the honeybee, mm. but for some of our native bees. So I've now, look, I love this because I'm, I'm a really slack gardener. And my <laughs> garden gets really wild, but I now have a specific area that I tell people is my area for my native bees. That I'm not mulching, <laughs> I'm not doing anything to mulch. It's an area that's <laughs> not mulched. It's my, it's my native bee patch. Great. <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, how's things? All right. Yes, really good. But just <coughs> excuse me, I got a bit of a cold. Uh, questions about uh, rhubarb. Right. I've got two uh, plants, and one is really well great, and the other one sort of died off somewhat. Is that normal this time of year? Yes, they what? die off in winter. Oh right. The other one's just like you know thriving. 
Yeah, look, we've had a bit of a funny season and because we've still got a fair bit, although it's been cold at night, we've, we've still got a fair bit of warmth around during the day. Um, oh. they, they, my, certainly my rhubarb is, is looking um, healthier at, at this time of year than mm. it usually does. So I think you'll find that maybe the one that's died, died off is um, in a spot where it gets a bit colder and a bit wetter oh, yeah, and, yeah. and the other one yeah. is in a spot where it's a bit more sheltered. Whereas yeah. both of my rhubarbs have died back already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because so, it's fairly cold where they are. Yeah, and you'd be getting frosts I'm where getting you are, frosts and, whereas yeah. I don't get frosts. That's so right. So it, it depends on your climate and your microclimate and where you actually have them in the garden. But yeah, well, you, they are in different spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's You do right. need to watch your rhubarb and make sure they don't stay too wet during winter. So that oh, is right. one thing that can happen, is that you can get um, crown rots into the rhubarb if, if the soil stays wet, really oh. wet. So. Uh, you oh, might want yeah. to mound them up a bit if you've if you've got really yeah, um, clay soil. Sorry. Um, just one other question about <coughs> excuse me the mandarin tree. Yep. Um, the leaves are going a bit yellow. Is that normal or not? You can get yellowing of leaves just from cold yeah. in citrus. Yeah. Um, so it depends a bit on what sort of yellowing is yeah, happening. Yeah. Where is the, is it the new foliage or the old foliage that's no, yellowing? No, it's probably it's just in one spot. It seems to be. Uh, yeah, where it's facing uh, more north. Is, is the where on the tree is it yellowing though? Is it in the at the top of the tree or down the bottom? It's about the centre. Okay. <laughs> does it have? Does it? Is it? Have you fertilised it? I was just going to say, yeah. are the leaves yellow, but are the are the veins of the leaves still green, or is the whole leaf going yellow? Uh, hang on, no, the whole leaf sort of going yellow. The tree's loaded. Fruit. Yeah, yeah, so the the tree's probably putting all of its energy into the fruit at oh, the moment, right. and not you know, and not worrying right. or doesn't have the nu- the energy or nutrients to put into keeping the leaves nice and green as well. So maybe oh, yeah. you could yeah. um, thin the fruit out a little bit, or um, well, I don't want to touch them yet. They're just about they're not quite ready. Yeah. So give it <laughs> give it some fertilizer, so that there's it can put you know more nutrients into getting that fruit nice and sweet and juicy for you. Mm-hmm. There's all little uh, sort of some of the leaves have got a, sort of a brown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, you you may have a bit of scale and mm. um, you mm. may also be getting a bit of um, sooty mould on it. Um, this time of year, you need to keep an eye on scale and aphid and and sooty mould, and yeah. and they get spread by ants. So oh, if, right, if you've yeah. got ants going up into your tree, you really oh. want to put a sticky collar around the trunk mm-hmm. to stop them from getting up into the tree and spreading them further. Mm. And then you need to get a... If you can't see them clearly, get yourself a magnifying glass and go and have a look at what's actually living on the tree because the yellowing could be being caused by a scale or a... Yep. Or an aphid infestation. Um, and if it's only in one area, you can fix that by cutting that bit out because mm-hmm. it won't do it any harm. Um, or you can use a pest oil spray, or you can just, um, if it's aphid, you can just squish them with your fingers, mm. or you can get out there with a toothbrush if it's scale and scrape them off yeah. with a toothbrush and soapy water. Perhaps check the soil too. Sometimes It could be a bit dry. If yeah, it has been a bit be, dry. It's been dry lately, and if the plant's fruiting at the moment, um, it could be putting a lot, you know, pulling a lot of moisture out of the soil. I just didn't... Just yeah, didn't you're, in, you're in Essendon and yeah, a flame, just plane just flew over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just saying, just, just, just check the moisture as well because it has been fairly dry. Yeah, oh yeah, all right. 
Yeah, I suppose the ground is a bit dry here. Yes. So go and have a chat to your Mandarin and find out what's going wrong with it. You need to look at a few different things. All right. All right. Well, thanks for your help anyway. Okay, Good on you, Colin. Cheers. Bye. Chloe, are there any... Exciting uh, things being events being planned by uh, the friends of Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. We've got a um, useful Australian plants day coming up, so it's it's a little bit different to our usual workshops, which often focus on plants, banksias, corias, etc. Um, but this one is focused on um, giving people information about Australian plants that are useful for um, purposes like uh, food and fibre, timber, dyeing, propagation, arts and craft. Um, we have managed to uh, lock down. No, <laughs> we've got Bruce Pascoe coming to speak to us as well who on, on this day. Um, he's an Australian Indigenous writer. He's recently authored Dark Emu. That's right. Which is a very popular... It's an extraordinary book. Yeah. Wonderful book. I hate to admit, I haven't read it yet, but I just... You need to. It's on the list. It's on the pile. Um, So uh, Bruce will be talking about an alternative view of uh, pre-colonial food production and and Aboriginal society and covering the plants that we use and the methods that that the Aboriginal people Mm. use to, you know, get a supply of, of food plants. Um, we have a chef called Julian Hills from Paringa Estate Winery in Red Hill. Uh, we're talking about the foods that they use in, in, in their restaurant. The Australian native foods. Australian native foods, yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, bush foods mm. and... and, and I'm, I'm actually surprised that you've got any gaps in that day. I, I would have thought that would be completely booked out by now. It's getting there. Pretty close. Yeah, and it's okay. only a couple of weeks away, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so if you want to do it, I'd... Get into it. I'm going. Oh, good. <laughs> and, I've, and my kids are coming too. Oh, good. So. I'm doing a propagation talk. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, when's the actual date? So, it's on Saturday, the 1st of July from mm-hmm. 9.30 until 4 o'clock mm-hmm. at the Australian Garden at Royal Botanic Gardens, Cranbourne. Um, in the auditorium, in, I presume. In the auditorium, yep. It, members are $60, non members $75, and students are $30. And, and to book, I'm just finding that information. Uh, our, we have a check it out on the website, which is rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au, and a contact number, or just call me if you have any questions. Just call me. My home number is nine seven two five three five six nine. Excellent. And I can put you onto a booking form or something. Your bookings are essential, so yeah. yeah. There will be some tastings from Julian as well. So excellent. Yeah. People get to take some plants home too. Okay. And now that we've quickly got a few minutes left, we have to talk about these couple of plants you've brought in. Yeah. Let's, well, let's talk about the tree. I've we've got this huge <laughs> tree sitting in the studio this morning. Which I've been wanting to bring this in for ages, but I just keep having other things in flower. Not much is in flower in the garden at the moment, so I'm like, I'll bring, I'll bring in my Queensland cowrie pine tree. Right. Um, it's in a pot. It admittedly needs to be potted up. But I think it'll have to be now. Yeah, I know. I made, I've um, made a mess through the studio this morning. Um, I, yeah, I have a, the. It's called a Agathis robusta, and I have, I have it in a pot on my deck at home, and it's um, a very, very low maintenance plant. Um, I water it very rarely, and um, I it's was a great bit, tree. The leaves it's look fantastic. Such an it's amazing gorgeous. tree. It's really, really shiny green, and they kind of. 
they're a little bit scale like yeah, in their shape. It's sort of prehistoric to look yes, at. Almost. Yeah, and it yeah. is it is a gondwan and plant. Yeah. It's, okay, it's it a, actually re- it doesn't really look anything like it, but it has the same feel as ginkgo. So yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. It's it's an old. I mean, looking mm. at evolution wise, it's it's an old. It's an old plant, so I I love trees, but don't have a massive backyard. But you know, this one mm. was in a was in a bargain bin a couple of years ago at a nursery, and I okay. couldn't pass it up. So I've got it in a pot. I don't think it will ever. I won't ever put it in the ground because it's been in a pot for too long. It, mm. The roots, it won't. Yep. I don't think it'll be a stable tree long yep. term to put in the ground. So I'll happily keep it in a pot for as mm. long as I can. Um, but yeah, it, look, it's probably close to six foot tall at the moment, and in a little, <laughs> in a smaller pot than than what than it, it needs. Should be. Than yes. it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, as I said, I don't have a big backyard, and I love I love mm. trees. So I've got a few eucalypts in pots at home, which you mm. know, I've, you know, eucalypts prune back quite well. I don't prune this one because I want it to sort of keep, you know, the the, the shape. Mm. It's got a really cool habit sort of got long long arms dangling mm. around so yeah Great i've got it on the corner of my deck and so I'm what, what's it around. the what's its name again it's called agathus robusta and it's the queensland cowrie pine so which is a popular timber yeah it's got a beautiful pinky sort of color mm. to it and it will go all right in a temperate climate yeah yeah or do you have to keep it away from frost no, I haven't had a problem with frost. It is in a more protected mm. um, area under on my deck, so more under the eaves. Yep. Um, and I don't need, I don't water it that often. I give it a little bit, you know, fertilise it a couple of times a year because mm. it is in a pot. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I've brought it inside before if I've had you know people mm. coming around and I want an in, an inside plant. So okay. it has been inside for a little while. Yep. Because um, you know it's a northern plant, it sort of can take. The warmth yeah. of inside, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. But, but you know, and just and, and put it outside. I love I love the it. fact that all of us try and grow things that really shouldn't grow in our climate. <laughs> yeah. We can't help we that. So I mean, my vanilla lily is now um, about twelve inches high, and yeah. I'm very excited That's by great. it. That's <laughs> great, and it's inside, and it's yep. um, yeah. And uh, I've I've learned not to water uh, it too podium. often. I can't remember is it the that botanical one? name. Mil- it's, it's the true vanilla, vanilla lily. Ah, oh, right. So, sorry, or vanilla plant. No, vanilla this is this is the one that you get ah, the vanilla pods from. The actual it's a tropical it's orchid. Actually a it's an orchid. Yeah. yeah, it's a tropical orchid. Fabulous. So yeah, we can't help ourselves, can no. we? I oh, know. <laughs> And very quickly, what's the other one you've got there? Um, it's the chocolate lily. Oh, so okay. Arthropodium ah, right. strictum. Timely. Yes. Yes. Um, Arthropodium strictum, the local chocolate lily. This plant has been in this, it's a very small terracotta pot and it has been in here for about five years. Wow. And again, it's something I hardly ever water and it uh, it flowers sporadically throughout the year, obviously mainly through spring and summer it flowers. Uh, I've collected the seed off it and, and planted it, grown elsewhere in the garden. Yep. Um, but yeah, this is a really, it's just a cute little, um, just a cute little plant to have in a little pot around. Lovely and strappy leaves. Yeah, nice yeah. strappy leaf. Doesn't, um, it's not a high maintenance mm. pot plant. Mm. And yeah, I, I go away for two weeks at a time or something in summer, and I don't have to, I don't have to worry about. It. I'll put it under the deck so it doesn't get too dry, but it mm. dries out because it's got the 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 tuber in it. It, it stores. It stores water, so it's mm. it kind of takes care of itself in that sense, yep. and really nice, sweet-smelling little flowers on them. And which is why flowers. it's called the chocolate lily. Yeah, kind of a multi sort of yeah. sort of smell. Um, 
Yeah, they're my little plants that I brought in this morning. <laughs> Not so little in all, my case. Yeah, and they, they actually are next to each other on the deck at home, so... Um, they keep each other company. They, yeah, they're good friends. They're yeah, good friends. Good. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any timely reminders, um, Penny, in the garden before we have to go for um, this week? Oh, look, I, I think the main thing is to keep an eye on your watering. So with this really dry weather, don't assume that your plants don't need to be watered just because it's yeah. cool. And that applies particularly to pot plants. Mm. So, um, and, and larger to, pot plants. Yeah, and larger pot plants. So just make sure that, that you're keeping the moisture up to them until we get a break in the weather and when you can forget about them for a while. Yeah, but, um, that's right. Yeah, it's been really dry for you know quite a few weeks now. So, um, and and the other thing, and but people will already be experiencing this, is that we're getting some quite extreme frosts as well. So that if you're in frosty areas, you might need to think about protecting plants that you might not usually have to think about protecting because of the clear skies and you know very cold nights yep so th- those two things is yeah. what i'd be looking at in the garden but um don't stop planting there are still things that you can put mm. in including very late garlic <laughs> but it really should have been in by now <laughs> <laughs> okay a, a big reminder that next sunday the 25th is our big gardening show radiothon day so do tune in. We'll be on air from 7.30 until 10 a.m. And then we'd love to have you come down and have a cup of tea or coffee with us. But uh, tune in, donate, pick up some goodies. Next Sunday is Radiothon Day. Uh, stay tuned now for the uh, alternative news, uh, Radiothon Day for them. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday. Until then, bye for now.